0: I don't actually think my kids are, are the greatest kids in the world on an, obj- but I do. Right. And, and so, it was, so I just so prefer, see. but, but like, I definitely prefer them. I definitely, right. like if there's a ham sandwich and everybody's starving and your kids there and my kids there, I'm going to give my kid the sandwich first.
1: And you, you seem to be saying there's nothing to be ashamed about there.
0: Right, and Daniel um, knows that he. I don't think he's ashamed that he would favor his kids, okay, but in that. he
1: is worried. He's worried about the kind of world you create whenever you encourage that.
0: Yeah. to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show and as always, I am glad that you are here and as always, I am glad that my friend John is here. John, I am glad you are here. Likewise, my friend. And and, and your presence signifies that once again, we're going to do a Q&A show. Can't wait. Okay. So, and I, I know you've got one lined up and so we'll get to it in just a second. I, w- I just want to say two things first. And the first is on last week's show, I recommended a movie as I sometimes do. And I got some notes from people saying, you find good stuff that I would not otherwise find. So like, keep keep recommending cool stuff. And so, I like I have this whole book list that I know I'm going to try to get together and and create something on the website that we can get it out there. But in the meantime, I just want to throw out a couple of things like, or what, what's happening right now, and that's what that movie was. That was a right now recommendation. And I'm reading a book right now that is, and I, I like. It sounds like almost uh, too ironic. That is blowing my mind, <laughs> um, and it's Michael Pollan's new book. It's called How to Change Your Mind, and it's about psychedelic drugs and their history and, 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 and their kind of natural history, like where they come from and how they work and their medical stuff and then his own sort of experience. Um, and he's a guy just like me who is totally secular and is a little bit scared and comes to the realization that if he really wants to understand the most he can about the good stuff in life, he's, he's going to have to check it out. And, and and the book is just so well written. You you know have you ever read anything by him like the food books? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that guy. The omnivore's dilemma and uh, in defense of food and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, and I had heard that he had written this book, and I was really interested in it because of the topic. Yeah. And-,
0: and and this thing, like, I will not be able to get Michael Pollan on the show. Okay, um, he'll he's be like, hard. Okay, but I have a friend. I have a couple of friends from my USC UC, and and out at UCLA days that are really at the center of this, the research that's going on right now. And I will be able to get one of them on. And we will do a show where we sort of talk about, if it's about humanizing yourself and it's about becoming more loving and more just and more connected to other people, um, we'll talk about the pros and cons and, and just uh, some perspectives on that stuff. So we, we don't need to get into that now, but I will tell you that that book is really a worthwhile read and it is not a book that like it's only a worthwhile read if you're really interested or if you want this is about like how the counterculture got shaped and what happens in america when the authorities become afraid of a new way of thinking like there's a lot of good stuff in there that's cool yeah i'll definitely read that all right so that's that i gotta tell you john that every week that somebody new comes in on that patreon thing and supports the podcast it is a. It is like, like in that movie, "It's a Wonderful Life." You know, where like every time you hear a bell ring, it's another angel getting their wings. Every time I see one of those, I go like, you know what? This podcast, like, we're getting somewhere. So, for those of you that are Patreon folks, do not think even your one dollar a monthers or your two dollar a monthers do not think any of it is lost on any of us that are working on this show. It's a big deal. All right. So one of the cool things that happens with some of the people that support the show is is they, they don't just support the show with money, which is one way to do it. Some people are telling me like, I am recommending this podcast on my Facebook page or like I am sending emails to people saying like, this is something you should check out. Especially now that we've got these little cutesy emails going out every week. They're like a little devotional, a little like, here's what's on the show. Some people are forwarding those around and we're getting way more listeners because of it. Some people support the show by calling in cool questions. And you told me that you have one for this week from somebody that I will know. And so are you just going to – do you need to set it up or are you just going to play it?
2: Yeah,
1: and we'll just use uh, first name only I guess, but this uh, question is from Daniel.
2: Hello, I'm Daniel. I'm a long, long-time listener and supporter of the podcast. I think I've listened to every episode, but anyway, I'm a big fan. I want to make a quick plug for Bart's Coaching – I'm married with three kids. I deconverted from Christianity about five years ago and went through a stage where I couldn't love my wife because she wouldn't question anything. The more pressure she felt for me to be open-minded, the more she doubled down on blind faith, which made her all the more unattractive to me and the cycle turned and tightened like that. I started Skyping with Bart and we ended up meeting once a week for over a year and he helped me slowly take pressure off my wife. He said, let me be your surrogate knower and intellectual conversation partner since your wife isn't in a position to be that right now. His enthusiasm cracked me up and helped me relax after being so stressed out from losing my faith. And as I began to chill out, my wife started feeling more free and secure, like I wasn't expecting something from her. And the spiral started going in the opposite direction, getting better and better. So, anyway, I'll always remember Bart's role in saving my marriage. Thanks, Bart. Okay, now on to my question, which has nothing to do with that. A common critique I hear about religion is that it fosters an us-them mentality. Humanize Me, the episode with Charles Vogel in particular, but in general also, says that us-thems are not only fine but good. We should all have us-groups. We just shouldn't mistreat our thens. Where it gets sticky for me is at what point does a preference for one group of people become mistreatment of another? And to me, that begins when we say not only do we prefer a certain group, but it's right for us to prefer this group. When Bart talks about his instinct to treat his child better better than another child, to me, it sometimes sounds like he thinks that instinct is right or justifiable. It's one thing to not feel guilty about it and acknowledge that it's perfectly natural, but it's another to think of it as right. So to me, when I cultivate loving relationships with people inside my group goes to, it is right for me to favor my people. It's only a matter of time before I've mistreated someone without realizing it was mistreatment. The other problem I see with embracing us, thems too unreservedly is that when you feel justified sticking to your us group, you don't get challenged on your beliefs or values or ways of thinking, and it becomes an echo chamber. So my question for Bart is, do you see any problems with creating communities with distinct definitions and fostering loyalty to those communities and if so at what point does this whole thing become negative or unhealthy thank
0: you guys wow that's some question yeah that whole thing is and it's so well worded well i mean as you figured out from the beginning like i know daniel and he's smart as a whip and so that doesn't surprise me at all um and that, whole that was first, quite a
1: compliment, by the way.
0: Yeah, that whole first part. I mean, I don't even know what to do with that except to say that it's just, there's nothing better than to feel like when you're trying to be helpful to somebody to hear that it actually ended up being helpful. And, well, it sounds uh,
1: like he has quite a story there and it, it all turned around and,
0: and he's very grateful, which is awesome. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, as with most of these things, you know, he really did all the heavy lifting, but… um yeah it's just that's just an awesome thing and and i I'm getting to coach a lot of people these days and 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 I've been doing it long enough now that you do have some people that come back at you long after you've ended up and and you sort of find out what how it turned out and you know it, it it's 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 pretty encouraging like like you know there's one thing like we end up talking about on the show is the idea that just receiving what they're giving you can make a difference in people's lives and and i you know i i just over and over again am reconvinced of the value of human relationships and the transformative power of human relationships and so anyway so that we'll just leave that there because then after like he makes me feel awesome he asks a question and i'm like oh my gosh like we're like (laughs) what do i even do with that
1: right it's a really challenging question and especially the way he asks it because it directly relates to or responds to stuff we've been talking about on this podcast right
0: and i mean I, i think like that's I mean, the first thing I would say in response to that is, you're hearing me right. When I don't know, I, when, when I when when you sort of say like people critique religion and they say, hey, this fosters a, a sense of a of an in-group. There these are our people and those aren't our people. And he's like, You seem to think that's okay. Like that that you know, and first of all, I mean, I do I you're right. I do think that's okay. But I also think it doesn't matter if I think it's okay. It's sort of like, it doesn't matter what I think about the sunrise, it will happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, And people, we are hardwired, like, and not just us, the roaches, the mice, like anything with DNA, you know, the reason it's made it through the, you know, the fiery furnace of natural selection is because it favors its own.
1: So you're saying it's it's inevitable that
0: this is going to be true, but Daniel rightly points out. He says, "Listen, I've heard you say that. I know that's true. I I don't even think he's arguing that point, but he's going like, no. But you seem to almost celebrate it. You think like yeah. that's a good. That's you know, right, right. And I think that, yeah, he's saying it's not just that you're
1: saying it's inevitable. It's that you're saying
0: that it's it's a good thing. It's right. We should lean into that. Yeah, yeah. That's a great. That's a great phrase. Yeah, I'm I'm saying we should lean into it. And, uh, and I think that there's truth because w- what my problem with us, them thinking is not the us part of it. Um, it's when it's us against them, us over and against them as if our destiny depends like as it, as if it's a zero sum game in which what's good for us is bad for them or what's good for them is bad for us. Mm hmm. And I'm much more thinking that humanism, and it's funny. I just spent the day up on at, U, at the University of Cincinnati. It's the first day of classes today, and so me and some of the leaders of the Secular Student Fellowship there were out tabling, um, which you know you set up the table with the signs, and you just see who comes and talks to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I spent a lot of time today. And our and our, our, our asked question, like that was on our little whiteboard next to the table, was, "Are you a humanist?" And so people would come over and go like. I don't know, like, what's a humanist, which is— What's that? Yeah, and so, you know, so I've done a lot of time sort of t- today thinking about, like, what is a humanist? And I think, like, for me, you know, human, humanism as a way of life is this notion where you sort of go, based on the evidence, based on the science, based on my personal experience, I've come to the conclusion that the best thing for my in-group— Is for us to orient ourselves as a team that's aiming to make things better for the, for the, the out group. Like, and we, we've got a fairly permeable border in that, like some people, you know, it wouldn't be that hard to get into our in group, but at some point, like you just reach that number where you're like, I can't know that many more people. And you go like, so you're, you sort of go like, yeah, I've got enough people at my Thanksgiving dinner. I'm not going to be inviting any others. And you go like, yeah. Mm So we better do our Thanksgiving dinner in such a way as to inspire all of us at the Thanksgiving dinner to go out and do things in the world that create wonderful experiences and that increase the possibility that other people will also be able to create Thanksgiving dinners with with each other so that there will end up being like wonderful Thanksgiving dinners all over the neighborhood rather than everybody coming to mind. Right. Uh, so, so it's like us for them.
1: Okay. But I'm, I'm thinking about uh, practically, when he's thinking about his question, okay, he mentioned a couple of things. He mentioned um, your child being better than another child, or you believing that your child is uh, certainly like, you, you prefer yours.
0: Yeah, there's a difference between, say, like I, I will not, like when my daughter was born, you know, like I was like, this is the most beautiful child in the world. And like, I know objectively that I'm only feeling that way because she's my, my daughter. Right. Yeah. And you said to me, so, so like, objectively, you know that there's some other child out there that, on some like standard of symmetry and, 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 you know, beauty is more beautiful than yours. And like, I, 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 I know that's possible. But, like, there does have to be one baby in the world that actually is the most beautiful baby in the world. <laughs> and I kind of, like, I kind of think it's mine. And you go, like, yeah, but you only <laughs> think that's because that's yours. And I go, like, yeah, I understand that that other person thinks that about their kid for the same reason. But one of us is right, and I, I suspect it might be me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you go like, but there, there, there's a kind of a, a tension or a paradox between those two thoughts, and I go like, I know. So <laughs> that's the nature of that kind of emotion, is that okay. I don't actually think my kids are are the the greatest kids in the world, on an obj- but I do, right? And, and so, it was, so I just so prefer, let's but but like I definitely prefer them. I definitely am right. like, if there's a ham sandwich. And everybody's starving, and your kids there, and my kids there. I'm going to give the kid. I'm going to give my give my kid the sandwich first.
1: And you you seem to be saying there's nothing to be ashamed about there, right? And Daniel Um, knows that he.
0: I don't think he's ashamed that he would favor his kids in that in that survival situation. Okay,
1: but he is worried. He's like you can't say that kind of world. Yeah, he he's worried about the kind of
0: world you create whenever you encourage that. Yeah, and and the weird thing is this is that like when I see your kid walking down the street. I care about your kid. And you know what I want for your kid most of all? To it,
1: hang out with your kid.
0: No, well, no, that's- So it'll rub off. That, that, that's, that would be good. Your kid could <laughs> learn a lot from my kids. I, I got to tell you. Um, but no, what I desperately want is I want to know that your kid has parents that are as loyal to him as my kids parents are to them because if i know that you're totally there for your kid it frees me up to not have to worry about him so much so i can concentrate on my kid mm. but like if i'm if i feel the same amount of obligation to your kid as i do to my own then like i i i i go and and, and the kid down the street and the kid around the corner and i go like if i'm responsible for every kid in the world equally I feel like it's like I'm going to try to water 10 million plants with this one little cup of water I have, which is my life. And I'll put I'll try to put a drop on each one. I'll run out before I get to the end and they'll all die of thirst.
1: Well, okay, and that's a very practical concern.
0: It's better for me to just go like, look, I can only water so many plants. So I'm going to draw a circle around the plants that are my 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 particular responsibility. And I'm going to hope I'm going to hope that you do the same. So is that, is it out of pragmatism basically that you don't
1: agree with the idea of treating everybody equally or, or, or
0: having the same consideration of everybody? Yeah. First of all, I think it's completely unrealistic. Mm -hmm. And then I just go like to the genes thing. Like, like, I don't know if you know very many adoptive parents or foster parents or things like that. I know lots of them and I admire them greatly, but I will tell you that like one of the, the things that, The ones that have done the best of it have told me is they said like they try to sell you at the agency that if you put in all the same inputs as you would with a biological kid, you'll end up with the same kind of bond. And they're like, maybe, but not usually, because the weird thing is, is that like when I put energy into my kid sometimes he shows up with some weird attitude or some like some emotional issue. That's like really crazy. And I go like, Oh my God. And then I go, wait, Oh my gosh, that's my dad. Like I used to sit all the time in my son. It's like, I was like, Oh, I recognize that. Mm -hmm. And I, and I had a lifetime of experience that would tell me like, do this, don't do that. And my dad would sometimes call me up and say, Bart, I was with Roman and you know, this thing he's going through, you're not like this, Bart. You're not like this, but he he's like me and I'm telling you, this is what's bugging him and you got to stop doing that. And my mm. dad could give me insight. And yeah. so, because we were all concentrated on Roman and Roman had the same genes and the same, like there was all these ways in which it was a more efficient caregiving system than if you'd have given me like your son, John, lovely kid, but like- He's not wired up like a Campolo, right? Right. And so I would have wasted a lot of energy trying to take care of your kid. That he's better off with you, and my kid's better off with me. In you know, and not not in every situation. I'm not like I'm not blind, but what I'm saying is, is in general, I think it. I think it's not only, it's not it's it's not only. It's just more efficient and more effective. If right. And of
1: t- course, the world would suggest that this works. But what about with groups like uh, churches, humanist groups, th- sort of like intentional communities like that? Are they – do the same principles apply?
0: We Have you ever heard of the Dunbar number? You know, that's familiar, but I don't remember what it is. A social scientist came up with basically – he was studying groups. And what he realized was is that groups could be managed – Using kind of personal relationships and gossip and, um, you know, secondhand news and things like that up to a a size of about 150. Oh, right, right. Mm -hmm. And at about 150, you would have to come up with a wholly different kind of management system to make that group function.
1: Right, right. And of course, ancient tribes were probably
0: around that number often. Yeah, and, and, that, that, and there's reasons and I, I, I'm not a good enough social scientist wannabe to even be able to explain to you why it works. But I know that like if you've, if you've grown up around churches, if you've grown, if you worked in, in startup companies, I ran, I ran a couple of nonprofits. And when they would reach a certain size, you would realize like if we get any bigger, like I won't be able to have a staff meeting where I have all the city directors in one room we're going to have yeah to... the structure breaks down and you need something new exactly and so yep. you know and what i think that that sort of points to is the idea that there are efficiencies of scale in human relationships and most of us have a carrying capacity and so you say like some even like large groups at some point they break down like armies have to have you know not just they have to have battalions and then they have to have companies and then they have to have, you know, you, you know. I, I don't even know. I'm not a military enough person to know all the, all the um, differentiations, but they realize that you have to have smaller groups within the larger group in order, in order to have kind of an effective sense of camaraderie and in order to kind of have eyes on all the things you need to have eyes on. And so you say, well, wait a second, won't those soldiers become more loyal to the ones in their own company than they will to the ones in the other. Like, you know, if you see a movie like Saving Private Ryan and you realize that these guys, they're not that excited about going to save this Ryan guy. They don't know him, but like there are eight of them. And like if one of them gets killed trying to find Ryan, they go like they value this guy's life more than Ryan's life. And then they get to where Ryan is. And guess what? He won't go with them because he values the life of his eight person team more than he values their lives. It's not that he doesn't care about them, but he's just like these are my guys. I got to stay with my guys, and they re- and they respect that. And so I think that you realize that you actually want, in order to, in order for everybody to get cared for in the optimal way, you want to have small groups within the larger group. Now, now when D- Daniel says, "But is that right?" and I go like, on some level, what's right is what works.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it's it's sort of a utilitarian idea there. If it works that's it becomes right
0: yeah and and it works for survivability but it also works for kind of emotional flourishing and when i meet people who are trying to love everyone the same and i have met people in social work in ministry you know like who are like every kid in the youth group was as important as their kid and they wouldn't give their kid any privilege that they wouldn't, you know, they've sent their kids to a shit school because all the kids in their neighborhood had to go to shit school. And they're like, I'm not going to pull my kid out. And you know, I, th- I always remember thinking like, I don't want my kid. I don't want every kid in the neighborhood to be able to say, Bart did his best for me. He did everything he could for me. And I don't want my kid to go like, actually, Bart could have done a lot more for me. And he, he just chose <laughs> not to. Um, uh-huh. So on that level, I want every, you know, I, want, I, I wanted to favor my kid because you know, like my parents were going to pay for my kid to go to private school. They were not going to pay for the kid around the block to go to private school. Yeah. You're like, well, then I shouldn't send my kid to private school. Well, if you'd have seen the public school my kid would have had to go to in West Philly, you would have recognized like if I could have got that other kid into it into a better school, I would have, but I couldn't. But I could get my kid in.
1: You know, you mentioned money and that's a really, it seems to me, a very interesting application of you know whatever you decide about this question, because that is in group out group. You I mean it's 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 how do we how much of my own money do I spend on me versus other people?
0: Hey, I don't want to jump the gun on this, but all these people that are coming to me talking about polyamory, <laughs> huh. For me, I always go it, like, I, hey, I everybody loves everybody, and you all happy with that. You're living three or four of you in a house together. That's great. I said like at some point, somebody's going to get sick.
1: Yeah. That's always been your question. Is right. It, where does the resources go? Where
0: does the money go? Like, like, yeah. so, so like you got this good job and one of your polyamorous people needs to move to Florida because they've got, or, or, or Arizona, because they got a respiratory illness. And the other one gets a great job offer in Boston. And the question is, where do you go? Right. And where does your money right, go? Right. And, and, oh, you have kids with both those people, which, you know, and I just go like, you know, what, at some point, you got to, you know, what marriage is on some level is drawing a line and going like, look, all our resources go to each other and, and go to our progeny. And you go like, well, that's so, you know, it's so, you know, ridiculously uh, provincial, like one man, one woman. I go like, yeah, that is the genetic code for how a, how a child gets formed. And if, and if both those creatures are economically committed to that child, that's, then it's simple mm-hmm and, and and so and and I, don't get me wrong i don't have a moral bone in my body that cries out against polyamory i just don't think it works when the money when the money when, when there's money at stake
1: so it's a practical thing yeah
0: yeah what, what, what daniel seems to be worried about too is that eventually i if i if i favor my own people i will mistreat other people and i think that that is, he's certainly right about the danger, but I think that one of the things that we learn in in nature at, and in economics are that like, you know, I remember when, oh, was it Clinton that bailed out Mexico when Mexico was having this huge economic, it was either Clinton or, Bo- I can't remember what, it's funny, like all the presidents except Trump now meld together to me, like, the good presidents, who, who <laughs> right. even though I disagreed with mo- many of their policies, were actually putting the country ahead of their own personal interests a- and this. But, but like, do, I, yeah, I re- Clinton authorized a loan to Mexico, a huge one $20 billion. Right. And, and there was no guarantee that we were going to get paid back. But what his point was is that Mexico's next door to us. If their economy fails utterly and completely, The economic consequences for our country. So what he made a case for is like taking care of them is good for us. Mm -hmm. And that is the basis of a lot of foreign policy um, economically is you go like, why are we getting, you know, like, like people are like, we're the most generous country in the world. Look, like we give all this money to Haiti. We give all this money, you know, and you go like, yeah, why do you do that? Well, like there's a certain sense in which, you know, China is being incredibly generous right now. With lots of countries in Africa, and you go like, why are they doing it? They're opening markets, man. Mm-hmm. Failing African countries ultimately burn a lot of charcoal, pumping a lot of bad stuff into the environment, and 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 that air, that global warming that they that that poor a poor economy causes inefficiencies and things like that that actually ends up messing up your atmosphere too. And so you go like if you really understand the biosphere, if you really understand economics, you recognize that we're all connected to each other. And so therefore us for them
1: it just works. Well, that I understood when you said earlier it's less about the us portion of it and more about how you treat them. And that's so it's not about not having us them. It's more baking into the equation a good, favorable
0: way to treat that is based not on a biblical imperative that you have been commanded to love your enemy, Mm -hmm. but is based on studying history that goes, you know what, Marshall Plan, you are actually safer if you love your enemy. Right, right. And loving your enemy doesn't always mean you feel warmly towards them. And it doesn't always mean that you don't fight them or discipline them. It means that you seek their best interests as well as because you recognize that their best interests are wrapped up in your own.
1: Now, uh, he had a question toward the end there that I thought was put pretty well. He said, do you see any problems with creating communities with these very distinct us, them definitions? and if so like are there any problems associated with that a and if so at which point
0: does it become a problem yeah i mean i mean like obviously the history of our world is the history of problems with us with us us them relationships or like with creating strong communities that then are you know irrevocably brought into conflict with the others and mm-hmm. you know and and daniel's out there and he's really smart and so are a lot of people that listen to this podcast so like i don't like If I saw Mr. Pollyanna on this this show, like, it's bullshit. Like, cooperation (laughs) is built into, like, one of the reasons we survive as a species is by cooperating. And the other reason is competition. Mm. And conflict and competition are baked into nature, even as love and kindness are. And so the idea that like the idea that I think we can, we can get better at this, us, then, them stuff doesn't mean that there will be times when environmental factors or circumstances won't literally pit one group of people against another group of people for survival. Like I've watched The Walking Dead. Okay. I know <laughs> how it works. Um and I think Well, it's,
1: and it also doesn't mean that you don't believe in us, them. Like, it's just a way of saying, like, we, we, we think the way to create a better world is not to abandon us, them, or to say that us, them is bad. It's just to, to do a
0: better version of it. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and to, to embrace it and revel in the good parts of it. But, like, there will come times when there aren't enough resources, no matter how you slice them. And you go like, but under your scenario, people will end up fighting and, the, and, and, and our group will fight against. And I go like, yeah, and that, that's, that's as baked in as anything else. Like on, 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 at least at this moment, at least. I mean, I can imagine a time when after the great economic and global social collapse that I think is imminent. And like, no, I, I don't mean like next year. I mean, like, I think that we're living in an unsustainable economy. And I'm not sure that we're going to, like, think our way out of it. I mean, I read David Deutsch's uh, The Beginning of Infinity, and it was the first book in 10 years that made me think, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we will. We've, maybe, maybe we'll be able to figure this stuff out. Uh, it mm-hmm. was a very techno-optimistic book. But, like, in general— Yeah, gen- I
1: remember whenever you were reading that, and we, we were talking about that a good bit.
0: Yeah, and so, but in general, I think there's going to be, you know, a real correction. And I think it's going to be painful. But maybe at some point on the other side of that, we will, as a species, like like sort of like we've we've learned, I, I we we repeat the same moral mistakes every generation because everybody starts from scratch. But like there are certain scientific or or technological problems that we actually do figure out and we do and, and like we 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 get better. Mm-hmm. And maybe at some point we will bake into the system the concept of enough, the concept of living of of figuring out a number of people that can re that this planet can 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 sustain um in 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 a in a renewable way so that nobody has to be poor and we don't run out of resources and there's reserves and things if we ever came up with a situation of enough where, where people where people where we where we we held our population um commensurate with our resources and our ability to, to renew our resources, you might come to a place where such conflicts were, you know, se- severely diminished or, or maybe eliminated altogether. I, I, I guess I, you know, I can't see that far from here. Right. Right. Um, so I think the conflicts are, are, are going to be built in. So, it's, so I'm, I'm, I don't want to sound Pollyanna here, John, where it makes it sound like, and like, I, I, I don't think you are either. I don't think that no. You, I don't think that you think that like we're on our way to like you know the peaceful Woodstock no, world. No, and it
1: doesn't address it fully anyway because even if you come up with better systems you do them within societies that have borders and and things like that. I mean it, it and even then you have an us them, right? Who's in the boor- who's within the border and who's without. And I mean this is a big question right now with all the immigration stuff because that that's a real dilemma. I mean yeah, and you I, and, can't have a social safety right. net unless you have a way to contain it
0: you know nations are an interesting concept because yeah, they are you know some nations are built around ethnicities and cultures and others are these kind of polygot inventions um, where there's no you know and, and and a lot of in the last few centuries we've seen like in central in Central Europe and places like you know in the Balkans where like the poly the, the invented countries, seem to keep reverting to the tribal countries. Like, it feels like in the end, when, when the resources get scarce or when push comes to shove or when there's chaos, people are like, they look for people that look like them and sound like them and eat like them and re- believe like them.
1: Yeah. And, yeah.
0: and so I'm not, I'm not convinced that that dooms us to war. I think what dooms no. us to war is when there's not enough resources on the one hand
1: I was going to say inequality.
0: Yeah. The (laughs) inequality. And I think that the other thing that dooms us to war is when the cultures that we create define themselves in opposition to other cultures or religiously, they they look at the other other group and they do what Daniel was accusing me of doing, saying like, our group is better than them. Which, like, when I'm when I'm with my family around Christmas, I don't literally think my family is better than all the other families. I just think, like, my family is better for me. And yeah. I want to be with my family, and I don't want to be. That's a good way to say it. And I don't yeah. want to be with all those other families the same way I want to be with mine. But, like, and I think, like, as countries or as ethnicities, if we, you know, to the degree that we have religions or cultures that define us as the the standard. And everyone else like that's that's one of the things I I struggle with with Chinese culture is Chinese culture for 5000 years has sort of gone like this is the this is the highest level of humanity and like other cultures are judged in as much as they like we'll teach them what we know, but like, this is the culture. Mm -hmm. And I you know, and that sounds very much like religion,
1: too. Yeah, there's a lot of religions that, that are kind of like we have the whole truth. Those other guys, they may have, they may have portions of it. Yeah, and it sounds like American exceptionalism
0: works the same way. Yes, that's right. You know, and so and so, I think like it's really important to recognize that loyalty to your own country is not the same thing as as actually believing that your culture is sh- and should be the defining standard of human of of humanity yeah you
1: know and politics is hard right now because i like i like today i read about mccain and trump and trump was described as a nationalist but i had just got off reading mccain's farewell letter letter to, to to america yeah and it was like it was red white and blue from beginning to end and so I'm thinking, what's a nationalist? What does that word mean? You know? Yeah, that's right.
0: Like, what is a na- like? Are you a nationalist? I kind of am.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's so weird. And like, but for it depends me, on how I you come, define it. And for me, I come from the UK, and I've been here in in America for 14 years now, and I feel very much at home here. But it's not, you know, part of the citizenship oath is do you renounce all allegiance? you know completely to that other place and i'm like no they don't feel like a them to me like right and are
0: you are you more loyal to northern ireland than you are to say like jakarta
1: of course i should hope so yeah of course but i find it hard to choose between these countries you know so if i take citizenship on it would be because i I feel a loyalty here or I feel, but, even, but then I have to ask, you know, what is citizenship? What is, what is a nation? What, what do these concepts mean? And I'm really, I mean, I, I that those are not frivolous concerns for me. Like I'm really grappling with that a little bit because I don't know what's right about these things, but
0: certainly I think the, those are places that I'm loyal to well, uh, like, be above others. Me too. And like these immigration debate, like I get it that we're a country of immigrants and I, you know, I, I know I'm, I, I feel like I'm, like I just sort of, my heart beats progressively in a lot of ways, but in the same way that like when my family's having Thanksgiving dinner or, or Christmas is maybe, you know, like, like, cause Thanksgiving, we invite everybody in. But, um, but when like we're together on a family vacation, my, you know, Roman and Allie, Miranda and Tyler and Marty and me, and, and, and usually my parents, you know, when they show up. And my sister and her family if we could get them but like when when we're all together on that family vacation and you go like and the phone rings and it's john wright and he's like hey i'm in town can i come over i'm like no you can't (laughs) and it's not that i don't like you a lot it's just like this is this time and it works better like like we have this thing going right And, and 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 or i say yeah john you can come over, and you go like, okay, well, I'm going to bring this Irish folk dancing thing, and we're going to do. It. And I go, no, 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 no. Like, you can come over, <laughs> but we're going to be doing what we do, and like, you can, you can eat the food that we're eating. Like, you can visit, right? So, so I look at Paris, and I go like, how many, how many Algerian refugees can go to Paris? How many, how many refugees can that city take in, and still be the Paris that everybody before loves? it becomes something else? Yeah. And you go like, well, what right do they have to say that like they get to define what Paris is like, you know, the Francophones or whatever? And I go like, everybody likes Paris. Yeah, but I think that this is
1: especially pertinent in America because of because of the way America defined itself as a nation of immigrants and as a place where everybody was welcome. And so, it, it becomes especially important here. But I do get the overall point. Yeah,
0: and I, all I'm saying yeah. is, like, I don't have an answer to it. But, like, when, no. when people want to keep their, you know, keep their culture, the culture of a particular place, hom- homogenous or, 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 or distinct, when they don't want there to be, like, Walmarts in Venice, I get that. Mm-hmm. And, like, you go, like, well… But who, what right do they have if Walmart can afford to buy the space and build a, and I go like, you know what? I, I'm not saying that maybe, maybe we can't, maybe we can't protect any culture. Maybe everything's always going to be just like, re- take it. but like, I get the, I get the impulse. Mm-hmm. I get, I get us them and I like us them. And Daniel's got me to rights and he goes like, but is there a problem? Can there be a problem? And, and my answer would be like, yes. There can be a problem. Um, but he, he
1: asked it very specifically, too. He said, At what point does it become? I don't think there's a simple answer to that question, yet. right? Is what we're basically saying. Yeah.
0: And so, like, honestly, I, like, y- 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 we call this question and answer. Like, this was question and rambling. But um, yeah, I think it's a
1: damn good question, though. And, and I, I do I, too. Yeah, yeah. Cause I mean, we've just proven we've gone for 38 minutes talking
0: about it. And we got to stop, but like, can I just say one more thing about a Mm -hmm. damn good question? And that is like friends of this show. Did you notice that Daniel, like he called in the question to the question line and John do you like, where is the question line number? Like how would somebody know what line to call to to leave a question?
1: It's on the show notes for every episode. Okay. And it's on, uh, bartcampolo.org. I'll give you it right now as well, verbally, just so if if you want to, if you have a burning question, you want to write it down right now. Right. It's 424
0: 291 2092 beautiful it's so wonderful when somebody actually calls and says I've been listening to the show and this is a direction that, you know like I know that Anthony Magnabosco show. show because I, I gotten letters on that one I know that some people got some questions mm-hmm. right send them call them in baby call them in we want like this is great for us we love this yeah alright thanks John thanks so much like I, I think we're done Um, Everybody knows the website. Everybody knows where to find us. Everybody knows there's a Facebook group. And a Patreon. And everybody knows that not only do we love each other, but we also love the community of people that make this show possible. They're an us group. They're an us group, and we love love us. All right. I'm out of here. You're out of here. See you later. Thanks, Bart. For more on Bart, go to bartcampolo.org. To leave a question in your own voice to be used in future shows, call the Humanize Me queue line at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. Humanize Me is a production of Jax Media. Hey, you could be larger than life.
2: Oh.